get to lift him up as the only true and wise God. Let me just grab this. Um, as, you got it? Okay. As the only true and wise God. And so we're thankful for his mercy in that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Welcome to our first Sunday morning gathering here at Epiphany Fellowship. We are thankful for those of us who are, those of you who are visiting with us, we know that there are a lot of places that you can go and gather with the saints and uh, be able to be with the people of God. And so thank you for gathering with us. Let's give God one more hand praise for our first time visitors, our first time visitors. Amen, amen, amen. Well, um, let's stand to our feet and let's dig on in. Let's stand to our feet and dig in. We are in our last few chapters. We're in our last few chapters of 2 Corinthians as we have been uh, going through this. We're in chapter 12 and uh, excited and directed as we dive into this. Um, on today, why weakness is your greatest strength. Why weakness is your greatest strength. Let's dive in. Father, we thank you that you are uh, great and a mighty God worthy of all of our worship and all of our commitment. And in growing in you, um, in people's eyes, we may go the different direction or uh, a different disposition. But Lord, before you, we become something different. And God, we pray today that we would find ourselves in you. Uh, for the person that is wrestling, for the person that's struggling, the person that's going through massive amounts of challenges, will you direct, develop, and encourage them in your word so that they can know you more deeply and understand what's going on? Sometimes it, 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 you, you said, ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you in the midst of your difficulty. And God, I pray that you would give somebody wisdom today uh, and clarity of what you're up to uh, in the mire and frustration of what they're dealing with and meet them where they are so that you can take them beyond where they are. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, as we've been trekking through 2 Corinthians, we've found uh, that Paul tends to use um, not the best tactics at communicating uh, his resume. Um, uh, for the most part, we would, again, put our best foot forward in order to communicate how fly we are and how, how great we are and, and how booming we are as, as people in order to get people to view us in a particular way. But Paul uses the paradoxical principle that I believe is pertinent to our progress because if you and I are going to recognize how the kingdom works, we must understand paradox. Somebody say paradox. The, 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 the one of the most beautiful things that uh, the gospel narratives through Jesus Christ presents to us are paradoxes. You know, uh, in order to gain your life, um, you got to lose it. Uh, in, in, order to, in order to be exalted, you got to humble yourself, not assert yourself in pride. I mean, I could go on and on. If you give up everything, I'll give you everything. Um, it, it, it's the principle of the biblical paradox, and we find ourselves here in not a different passage, yet many times, many see as a difficult passage if you focus on the minutia of the passage. But when I look at the text, there is 
that, that there is a beauty in this passage that exalts the paradox that I think the church, particularly in America, needs to turn to. I believe the church in America thinks that we're strong based on our alliances politically. It got real quiet there. It's okay. I, 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 think that, I think that we think our greatness is connected to where our financial alliances lie. I, I, I think we, we, we believe that our connection to the powerful of earth makes us powerful or the seeming powerful. But, but what's interesting is in the Bible, particularly uh, um, um, Jesus's life, he didn't align with the powerful. He, he, he aligned himself with the broken um, he aligned himself with those who had challenges. He aligned himself with those who, if you could present it as a school cafeteria, he wouldn't have been with the sports folks and the cool kids. and the, you, He would have been with some nerdy kid sitting off to the left all by his or herself with no friends, getting bullied all the time. Jesus would have felt at home with the worst of the worst. And, and the problem with many of us is we want to align ourselves with where we want our identity to be in humanity, not based on how we need our identity to be spiritually. And so, and so we, we, we come to a, I would say a semi-similar, a familiar text. Um, because I think if you familiarize yourself with this text, it will change the trajectory of how you view the Christian faith. When you get in a text like this, this is not the quick fix Christianity that you're used to. This is not come forward and I lay hands on you and you fall to the ground and get up and everything's okay. I know you're not gonna say, man, I'll wait till 11 o'clock. I'm okay by myself up here, but I'm trying to let you know that, that, that this, easy, this easy street Christianity, that, that we believe that Christianity is, is a microwave. See, most of us think of Christianity as a microwave, process of maturity. But, 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 but it's really more of this. It's really more of a crock pot or pressure cooker. Help me today, God. And, 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 and if you recognize that the best stuff is cooked slow. Oh, help me today. Listen, listen, listen. It, it, one, one way to hurt tough meat is not to sear it and cook it quickly because it's still going to be, it may smell good, but it's still going to be tough. But man, if you put it in a crock pot, and just turn the crock pot on and leave. What will happen is low and slow will break down all of, the, all of the sinews and the stitches and everything that would bind it together to be tough and uncuttable. And by the time you open it up when it's done, it, it will be nice and mellow and melt in your mouth. Why? Not because it worked out fast, but because it was low and slow. I wish I had somebody in here that recognized that the way up is to be in low and slow. I'm not going to get no help. Because the problem with us is we want to be high and quick, but in order to be high, you got to be low. And so we find in this text, we find in our text, Paul is talking to the Corinthians that they're the, they're the, they're the fast-paced, money-having Christians. They did, this, was the, this was that church. This was that mainline church, if you will. 
with pristine grass taken care of by some manicuring company that comes through with great machinery. You know, around here, when you hire somebody, dude may just be walking up the street. You know what I'm saying? They would, see, this church wouldn't have hired the dude walking up the street. They're going to hire us. Hello. They're going to call some company to come fix everything up. Well, interestingly enough, they're used to a certain level of thing. They're used to a caviar lifestyle. So anything that calls them to lowness, it looks like a basement and left field of the life that they would want. And so Paul challenges them in relation to how they're relating to spiritual leadership and even their own lives. Because the problem with having that mindset is when something difficult happens, you'll get confused. Which brings me to my first and only point. If you are going to recognize and understand why weakness is your greatest strength, I got one point. God does his best work when you are weak. That's my point. God does his best work in your life when you're weak. Look at the verse, verse one. He said, I must, he said, I must go on boasting. <laughs> he says, though there is nothing to be gained by it, Paul says, I will go on to visions and of revelations of the Lord. So what Paul is diving into here in this text in helping the Corinthians to recognize is he, they like boastful leadership, but leadership that talked about themselves more than they talked about Jesus. So what he did was he took, he took the format, the artistic and rhetorical format of boasting and flipped it on its head. He used boasting in a, in a basement format. And in doing that, he actually exalted Christ above himself, even though he was boasting in the format that they liked. So at the end of the day, they probably weren't going to like uh, what he was saying as much because it didn't center on him, which would make it center on them. And so he says, he said, I'll go on boasting. He said, there's really nothing to be gained by boasting. He's speaking of boasting in general. But then he talks about what these leaders come in, because these super apostles, as they called them in the last chapter, uh, they, 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 they pride themselves <coughs> on ecstatic spiritual experiences with God. In other words, the Bible wasn't the central theme of how they viewed everything in their life. In other words, in order to affirm the Bible, you have to have a special experience to make the Bible valuable. Now, I know people don't believe that today, but I'm just saying, in the sense of this passage right here, that was their disposition. <coughs> and so these, these folk would talk about, I, I, I had a revelation the other night, and I felt uh, God come in the room with me, and when God came in the room with me, I sensed Jesus' beard next to me. It, it was on my shoulder, and, 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 and I slipped into a doozy of a sleep, and he began to talk to me, and, 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 and he, he talked to me, and see, they like all that, right? I ain't mad at the style of communication. That's, that's some nice stuff. But, 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 but the information that's undergirding it is foolishness. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, these things I have written to you that you may not stray far from the things which are written. And so, and so, and so Paul wants them to allow truth to inform their experience. Oh, God. He wants truth to inform their experience. And, and, and so here he begins to go into this reality of talking about this idea of visions and revelations. So he said, I, I've had some myself, as a matter of fact. <laughs> he said, matter of fact, I don't really even talk about 
many of my visions and revelations. And he's going to talk about those in a minute. Visions pointing to uh, 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 that which is unveiling something that was previously concealed by God. Revelation as well. Um, uh, vivid pictures of experiencing God through ecstatic existential experience. Verse 2. He says, I know a man. He speaks of himself in the third person. In Christ who 14 years ago was caught up. Somebody say caught up. You know what I like about caught up? Is it points to the fact that Paul didn't initiate God giving him a vision or a revelation. God, it happened to him. He didn't happen to it. In other, word, in other, in other words, God, Paul wasn't sitting around like looking for this type of experience. In other words, whenever God does something supernatural like this, it's always an interruption of your life, not you pushing forward to get it from God. So the idea of caught up was, man, I was, I was actually snatched by God into this situation, which means it was out of my personal control to control the information. Because, if, because in his mind, if you are trying to get the information, you've given yourself the information, but if it happened to you, God gave it to you. And so, and so what he begins to say is he says, caught up in the third heaven. Third heaven, there are three heavens, and the one you look at right now is the, third, is the first heaven. Second heaven is the universal stratosphere where all the stars and everything is. The third heaven, biblically, is where the throne of God is, the dwelling presence of God. It's a reflection of the reality, how we look at the outer court, inner court, and holies of holies as it pertains to the tabernacle, and even how we look at our souls, that the first heaven, second heaven, third heaven point to the reality of this, and then the dwelling presence of God in paradise paradise or heaven is the holiest of holies and you can't just get in there God has to let you in there <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so he says the third says, I got I got caught up to the third heaven so you got to understand as the Corinthians are like reading this they're like oh snap I ain't even never heard of the third heaven they're like wow Paul about to drop he oh he he really flossing right now so he got revelations and dreams and visions. He got caught up to the third. So they're listening. But little do they know is he's not going to use it like they think. <laughs> because the way they want, would want him to use it is to further exalt himself. He's going to do the exact opposite. <laughs> so look at what it says. Look at what it says. He, says. he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. You know what I like about this? He's even under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he tries not to add anything to it. See, some of us, if we'd have been on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we'd just come up with some stuff. You know what I'm saying? We'd just be like, we'd just be like um, you know, I, I remember when this. No, he said, I don't really know what happened. I like that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had the humility to say, I don't really know how this worked. All I, that, that's how you, see, see, walking with Jesus is not knowing every nook and cranny of everything. Help me today. <clears throat> you don't have to. Settle your soul to remain stable in the faith by filling in gaps God didn't give to you. Help me today. <laughs> listen, listen. Don't ever be scared of the gaps that God doesn't fill. Because, see, when you try to fill in gaps, you can fall into unbelief. Because that's not truth or information that God has given. That's you trying to settle your soul about what you think should be there. And so, and so, and so, and so, if God doesn't say, listen, if God don't say, don't say God said nothing. Hear me in tongues today. Listen, if God did not say it, don't, be very careful as the Lord told me. Oh, y'all are not going to talk back to the preacher today. <laughs> See, some, some of us like to, listen, listen, I know, what, I know what I try to do. I try to say, 
you know, I sensed, I don't know if it was God, may have been, may have not, but this is what I sense is not against the character of what's in the script. See, when somebody has the humility to qualify stuff, that's when you know, okay, I can listen to this person. But when someone says, thus says the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm like this. I'm the meme that's like this. You understand what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Somebody lying, right? <laughs> Why are you always lying? Right? <laughs> and he said, he said, God only knows. And this is how he begins to talk about it. He doesn't talk about it with great assertions. He talks about it with great humility. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He said, and he heard things, talking about this person, but it's talking about himself. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So I don't know if when Paul got up to the third heaven, angels was like, don't even say nothing, just look. Let me say your parents ever did you like that, don't say nothing, just look. He gets to heaven and he's just there dumbfounded by the experience that he had. It's funny, can I, can I just say this for free? This is for real free. Back in the 90s, everybody was having an out-of-body experience. And they knew everything that was going on. And, you know, I, I saw a light and someone came in and I was in heaven and I saw. And it's like, man, dude really saw that, like, right. And he says right here, you're prohibited from even talking about it. So anyway, so if somebody comes back and tell you they had an out-of-body experience and they have a lot of details about everything in heaven, they're probably on some lying. <laughs> Amen. Verse 5. He says, he said, on behalf of this man, I will boast. Now he's going to start his boast. He says, but not, he says, but on my behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. <laughs> it's interesting here that now Paul begins to talk about the reality of him exalting himself in abasing himself. He says, though if I should boast, I should, uh, I, should, I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. I love that statement. He said, I'm not going to try to fill in gaps or utilize this as an opportunity to make you my audience. I'm going to let God do the work. No, I like those verses when the Bible says, and the Lord exalted Joshua among the people. In other words, God is a better positioner than you. Let me just tell y'all right now, some of y'all are in some situations where you think you deserve something. And you're trying to finagle your little way on into places where you're not yet authorized to be. And God is going to press on you. To, see, when God does it, it's stable. When you do it, you don't know how long you're going to be there. And so, and so it's, that, that's, I'm just telling you, that was, that was very, that's, that was important what was just said. Because if you, whatever you can get yourself into, Please refuse to be there. If you can, by your own strength, by your own might, by your own hand, get you there, then by your own hand, you must keep yourself there. But if God is the one 
that does it and that he works everything out and moves stuff out of the way for you, I guarantee you it will last longer than your hand can hold it. And so Paul says, I, I don't want anything, <coughs> I don't want anyone to think of me more than what I am. And what I'm telling you, I'm not telling you this to give myself a great position before you, but I'm telling you this for a greater and more in-depth reason, Paul says. And so he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. <laughs> know why? Because Paul had pride issues. God doesn't do anything in your life to keep you from something that he doesn't know that's a struggle for you. <laughs> Don't ever get mad at God for knowing what your kryptonite is. Oh, God, help me. In other words, Paul, Paul says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, he says, because it's easy. Listen, y'all would, I'm just telling y'all, if I go to heaven and get freedom to talk, y'all going to have to, y'all, y'all going to have to help me because, you know, go to heaven, see everything, come back, be able to talk about like I've been to heaven. I seen the throne of God. I seen angels. I seen family. I seen, I can just talk. I mean, that should give you some crazy credibility, right? And so God, God, God knows, God knows how to do certain things for your good to help you to remain character credible mm. so that where he takes you, you don't blow it because of the experiences that he gives you. Oh, help me today, God. And, 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 he, and he, said, he, says, he says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. He said, so these, these revelations, like, listen, he's like, Enoch was not for God took him. Enoch ain't come back talking about nothing. He said, Elijah, fiery chariots came to get him. He didn't come back chopping it up about nothing. He says, it's, it's, it's like Jesus saw Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus shut them down from talking about the experience until the proper time. So, so, so these ecstatic heavenly experiences are far and few between in the Bible, yet there is a shut mouth disposition towards them. But one guy gets to come back to fully possibly talk about it, but then God does something. And he says, because of how great these revelations were, I saw some crazy stuff. He says, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. The famous thorn in the flesh. Who knows what it is? I would not waste my time trying to pontificate on whether it was an illness, whether it was uh, some type of the way, I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. All we know is, this is a few things we know about it. It was a thorn. What does a thorn represent? Some, like, have you ever, you ever been stuck by a thorn before? And you ever had something sticking you and it just held there and, 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 and it was nothing you can do about it? You ever had, I don't know, we had them old wood floors um, back, we lived in a row house, and you, I don't know if you ever was barefooted and you slid across the floor and I, and I, I, Jesus, I felt it again. And, and, and Lord, help me. And, and one of them, one of them splitters just anointed the bottom of your feet. And you thought you was in the Middle East getting tortured, like immediately. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, that type of feeling. Just imagine without blood, every, without the injury doing any damage to you but it just leaves the pain. That's what Paul is experiencing. Uh, Paul is experiencing an unending pain anointed by God. 
If you like the prosperity gospel, this ain't the text for you. All right. This, if you like the prosperity gospel, this, this messes up the whole thing. When you say God always, I be, listen, I believe God healed my wife. So I'm not sitting here acting like God doesn't heal. I believe, I pray to that end. We're going to see that in a second. But look at what he said. He said, in my flesh. The question is, <laughs> is it in his fleshly mindset or in his body? We don't know. Did God do something to prick at the fleshly disposition that he had towards pride and conceit? Uh, uh, whatever it was, was enough to every time it pained him, it reminded him of his need to need God. If you don't know what to say, amen, and you don't, y'all don't know what to shout. Listen, you, listen, you, you need to need God. But he knows, listen, that you won't. He knows you won't. So what God does is he puts you in a position to need him. <sighs> See, some of y'all are trying to pray yourself out of needing God. You don't know that's what it is. But some of the situation that God has put you in is for your good. And you can't pray it away. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, he says, now, now, what's, now what's, what's theologically crazy about this passage is the Bible says, a messenger of Satan was sent to harass him. That's, that's crazy. So that means that because of the surpassing revelations, God is the one that did this, but God utilized the enemy to send a messenger. The word there is angelos, so a demonic angel, a demon, uh, um, um, to harass him. In other words, to get on his nerves all the time. Can you imagine something getting on your nerves all the time? And look what, look what he said, to, in order to keep you from being conceited. So it's almost, it's almost like Pinocchio, Pinocchio pain. Okay, let me explain what I'm saying. See, Pinocchio, when he lied, cacao came out, right? Boom. When Paul was probably dealing with some conceit, that messenger from Satan was freed by God to harass him to humility. It, it, it's, it's interesting here. I, I, listen, I don't, listen, I'm not even going to attempt to hyper-theologically deal with all the exegetical commentary issues here because it doesn't necessarily change the principal point that God is demanding that his people understands who he uses greatly, he always pains deeply. Some of us have prayers, God use me, prepare for pain. God, take me and help me to minister to this person. Prepare yourself for some pain. God, put me on a platform in my job and in my position where I can help others in this particular way. He says, all right, you, do, you know not what you asked for. That's why grandmama always used to tell you, watch what you prayed for because you don't know what your prayer demands. Listen, and let me give you this for free. Don't look at somebody that's in a pristine position not knowing what God had to take them through and is taking them through to be there. See, 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 you don't know the story behind the victory. And, and, you, and you have to listen, you have to be careful of coveting where God has somebody else. Listen, you better learn how to be thankful for where God has placed you and what God is doing in your life and where God is developing you and what God is working out. But I'm just telling you right now, 
The true gospel, listen, listen, this is, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. If you're going to be used greatly, you're going to be harassed. You're going to be harassed. I can, I can go down the line. I was trying to go through some of my, I remember when I first got into a seminary and I thought I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I remember that. I thought I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And I was, I felt like really, really, I was like, I know I can't lose my salvation because the Bible says uh, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me and the, and the one that comes to me shall certainly not cast out. So for two literal years, I wrestled with this unmovable disposition um, of whether or not I had lost my salvation or I still had my salvation. And I read a commentary that helped me out. It says, some Christians believe that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They said, but one who believes that they blaspheme the Holy Spirit hasn't because in order to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you have to be extremely callous and you wouldn't even believe that you did it. Yeah. <laughs> and let me, let, me, let me give y'all something for free. Every time God did something great in my life, he did something painful to me. Help me today. Uh, 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 um, I can remember... About to graduate from school. I was real excited to get my seminary degree. I was like, I'm about to go into church and help some people. We lost our daughter. Our oldest child, six months in. Lost. I can remember going and getting an assistant pastor position. That I'm excited. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching at a Bible college in my mid-20s. You know, I'm the young gun. You know what I'm saying? I'm, getting, I'm preaching. I'm leading praise and worship. You know what I'm saying? I'm in like the dream job. All of a sudden, my wife's liver disease gets worse. And so I couldn't fully celebrate myself because of my need to need God. Oh, oh help me today. When we were launching Epiphany Fellowship and I was excited about the little bit of buzz we was getting around. And guess what happened? My wife had to go. She went through her second bout of cancer while the church was launching. When Manhood Restored came out, Unleashed came out, Beat God to the Point, all those different books. And you know I'm excited about winning little awards and stuff. And I'm saying this because I'm about to weakness this thing. Don't think I'm about to, like, prop up. There's some weakness all around that stuff. Winning all these book awards. But then all of a sudden, throughout all the process, something devastating would happen with my wife. And it would push me into, don't believe the press. Don't believe the hype about yourself. But drive yourself into me and see your need for me beyond your need for self-exaltation. This, for me, this text is not some theological argument. It is an imprinted reality on my soul that, listen, every time God does something great in your life, he'll let you enjoy it. He'll let you have joy in him. But the moment he sees the disposition of you taking it beyond enjoyment for his glory, he will insert a thorn in your life to challenge you to remember it in view of him. And some of y'all looking at me funny because you haven't really been through anything yet that would demand that. But I'm going to tell you right now, keep on living. <laughs> Stone was given to him in his flesh and it was planted there and God placed it there and God gave the enemy. Listen, oh, this, this is for free. I got, I got a little bit of time left. <laughs> there is boundaries around your life. As a believer, there are hedges. 
And God at any time will allow there to be entry points into those hedges when needed by the enemy. Like he did Job. The devil was even like, he's like, go on and do whatever you want in his life. And he's like, every time I try to get in, it's that thing you do. That favor, grace, protection, covenant relationship stuff. He says, all right, I'm going to take ring one off of him. Now, you can't touch him, but you can touch everything in his possession. See, see, I like the fact that God limits the devil's access. <laughs> see, 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 I know some of y'all been to a concert and y'all get an all-access pass. The devil never gets an all-access pass to you. Oh, you, you, don't know how to, you don't know how to think through the shout minute. Um, then the devil, God says, I took everything from him. I, I was hoping, you was right, you was right. You was, but I'm telling you, I mean, he's standing before, I bet you, if you let me get at him, like get at him and turn up on him, I bet you he'd curse you. God said, you know what? I'm going to take ring two off. But you can't take his life, but you could do whatever you want to him. And guess what Job's struggle was? Pride. <laughs> and God used the process of that to help him to be diffused of the ignorance and craziness of his pride. And so Paul did something that we all would do. I think it's wise. He prayed. God, in the name of Jesus, I don't know what this is. So you got to understand, he done healed people. He done seen people raised from the dead. He done been in prison, down at the bottom of a prison, singing hymns and singing praises unto God and locked down. And he sang and prayed and the, the, the prison doors opened and got led out by, I mean, he, so he, he used to God doing stuff. So if, it, if I can pray and people get up and all, he said, man, this is a little something, something. So I can pray to God, it should be gone. Paul says, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Remove this thorn from my flesh. No answer. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ as Nazareth, I, of Nazareth, I am in agony and in pain. I don't know what's going. I rebuke this in the name of Jesus and beg of you to loose me from this bondage. No answer. Finally, God in the name of Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of power, the one who will come to judge the living and the dead, I come against this sickness or whatever it is on my life, this thorn, and I ask you would remove it. Then he got his answer. He got his answer. He said, Paul said, I pleaded about this. Even the one who could heal others had to plead for himself. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, my goodness. So that's the answer that he got. In other words, that was a sophisticated way of God saying, I'm not going to take it away. <laughs> that's a sophisticated way of God saying, my grace is enough for you. In other words, in order to deal with the pain, press into my grace. In other words, and, and let me, know what he's saying inferentially. You're so under my unmerited favor that I can pain you, know you'll still trust me, yet discipline you and you'll push into me. He said, I put this as 
a safety mechanism for your character. <laughs> it's beautiful. I know it's hard to say amen to pain, but it's beautiful of the fact that God loved him enough to not let him get away. Listen, let me explain something to you. When you ever been, you felt like the person that everybody get away with something, but then when it come to you, you don't get away with nothing. <laughs> let, 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 me, let, let, me, let me explain something to you. Don't get mad at that. That is grace. Let me say it again. Y'all didn't get that. It's grace. It's grace that God doesn't let you get away with being raggedy. <laughs> it's, it's grace because listen there's some things there's some places I would have been in my life if it had not been for God cutting me off and stopping me and pulling me back I would have been y'all think I'm bad now but listen this is a sanctified version of the badness that would have happened to me if God would have let me do my thing have my way and do everything I wanted to do God says, my unmerited favor is enough. And guess what? My power is actually perfected in you when you're weak, not when you're strong. Let me see if I can make a plan. And my wife and I, we had bought a new house, and, <coughs> and we were looking it over, and we always get my father-in-law to look at the houses that we buy, and, 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 and he came in, and I'm looking at all these cracks. So I'm like, man... I ain't buying this joint, man. This, this joint is cracked all up. And, man, I'm not buying this. My father-in-law was chilling. He, he owns a construction. He used to own a construction company. So I'm, I'm talking to him. I'm just like, man, look at this. Man, cracks all over the... He said, he said nah. He said, those are good cracks, son. <laughs> How in the world do you have a good crack? He said, the cracks are just signals of something. He said, he said, see, when you build a house and you put it in the foundation, it has to settle. And everything above the foundation should settle and move with the foundation as the foundation is being settled into the soil. So these are, son, this is an old crack. These aren't new cracks. <laughs> he says, when it settles, you'll see cracks and misalignments above the foundation, but it's a sign that the foundation is secure. Because these cracks were just, they look like weaknesses, but it's really to show you the strength of the fact that the foundation is now secure. All I'm trying to tell somebody today is you may have some cracks, you may have some bumps, and you may have some bruises, but it was just God taking you through something so he can settle the foundation of Christ that's inside of your life. You may be hurting, you may be in pain, you may even hear some spooky sounds in your life like in an old house, but all that is is the foundation getting settled, the foundation getting secured, and you being put in the place that God has for you. Never worry about a crack because a crack may mean that you're being connected to the cornerstone. <sighs> ultimately, ultimately, we see the beauty of Jesus Christ in all of this because in Jesus becoming human and setting himself up to experience being weak, God who ran everything became a baby and allowed his diaper to be changed, allowed somebody to wipe his tears, 
Christ, the creator of all things, set himself up for weakness. But then he went to a rugged cross, allowing himself to be beaten, weakness. Allowing himself to be spat on, weakness. Allowing himself to be cussed out, weakness. But little did they know that the greatest strength that it took for anyone to do is to die for people that were hating on them. And the fact that Jesus Christ could do that is the most powerful thing in the universe for his name's sake. It reminds me, I'm a Marvel buff and I like, and I'm out of your way, I love um, watching cartoons and stuff with my kids. And so I don't know if you understand it. In, in the comics, the Hulk is different than he is on a lot of different things. And it's funny, when the Hulk gets hurt, he actually gets stronger. The more you beat him up, the stronger the gamma radiation gets in him. And the more stronger he gets and the larger he gets, the more you hit him to the point to where villains have to figure out how to not hit him to put him down in order to keep him from getting stronger. And just as the hawk gets hit and gets stronger is the way God set your soul up through Jesus Christ is the more they slay you, yet will you trust him. And I'm praying, I'm praying in your lives and my life that we would be, we, we would be people that not look for pain, but when God leaves you for something, you don't complain the whole time. But you ask God, what are you up to in me? What do you want me to, how do you want me to see you? I've been going through this over and over and over and over again. That which lags is probably a thorn. And when it lags and you've prayed and there's the elders done prayed for you, oil on you, everything, and nothing moves you, you may find yourself in the middle of a thorn. And instead of focusing on the difficulty of the thorn, utilize the experience to drive you more deeply and press into the Lord. That's what we gotta, that's what this thing is about, is you pressing into the Lord. And God loves you enough, family of God. He loves you enough to not let you get away with long seasons of intimacylessness. And so if you're going through something difficult that God hasn't taken away, God is trying to pull you into a deeper intimacy. Listen, one of my profs said this, I'll never forget, I'm done. He said, God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. <laughs> Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace that is sufficient for us. It's a crazy reality of this paradoxical thing. If you try to become strong in God's eyes, we become weaker. Maybe you're here today and you recognize that Christ's death it's not a weakness, but it's a strength. I know it's a lot of rumors going around about him, but they've been going around for a very long time. And he still stands and he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for those who know him. But there are people in here that don't know him as Savior. And if you don't know Jesus Christ in the pardoning of your sin, and you want to you wanna put your confidence in the fact that Christ died on the cross and God took out his anger and his wrath on Jesus Christ, this weak-looking guy on the cross... I got to tell you something. He's not going to come back looking weak because God, when he caused his son to die on the cross for our sins and Christ got up from the grave, he ascended to heaven and he's coming back. He's not coming back as the lion, but he's coming back as the lamb. I mean, as the lamb, he's coming back as the lion. And if you're here today 
and you've never placed your confidence in him, I want to give you two things. You can meet him as the lamb now by experiencing faith in him, by trusting in what he's done for you, not Christ and anything, not Christ and keeping the commandments, not Jesus and I do good things, not Jesus, just Jesus and Jesus alone. If you want to place your confidence in him, his death and resurrection for the pardon of your sins, that's how you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Slip your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone? Anyone says, yes, I want to say yes to this Jesus you've been talking about. Place my confidence in him and him alone for salvation and know him in the pardon of my sins. And that way you'll spend eternity with him. It's not about going to heaven. It's about being with him. Being in a relationship with him. And it doesn't start when you die. It starts as soon as you trust him by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Is there someone this morning that wants to do that? Amen. Well, I want to pray for my thorny people. If you're a believer, but you, you know you're dealing with some wrestlings with this, and God spoke potently to you through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12 about him letting you know that his grace is so sufficient for you. Come on up. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, sis, for being the first one to be bold. I see you, brother. Thank you for being bold. Thank you for being bold. God is telling you his grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for you. No matter what you're going through, it's sufficient. It's enough. Matter of fact, it's more than enough. God has grace. Bring on on to the middle. Come in as close as you can to the middle. You're going through a situation where God has not brought the deliverance that you thought. And you want God to, to turn your direction. You, you need it to be turned to heavenward. 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 You want to be, you want to be turned heavenward. Anyone else? See, I don't know if I have a heavenly perspective in what I'm going through. And the things that God usually doesn't change is the things that he wants to use to conform us to the image of Jesus. It's not an act of hatred, but the Bible says it's an act of grace. It's a, it's, it's a reflection of his favor on your life. It's a beautiful thing. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'll give you another minute. I'll see you, sis. Anyone else that says, yeah, I, I need to be affirmed by God that his grace is sufficient for me. That his grace is sufficient. As you, I, I see you sisters coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I see you brothers. Amen. Anyone else? I want to give you a minute. We got good time. We got good time. Anyone else that says, yes, I, I want to recognize the sufficiency of God's grace and what I'm going through so that I can look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple and simple enough. Yes. Thank you for standing, sis. I see you. I see you standing over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I see you just stood up. No need to wrestle. No need to wrestle. This is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing for God to bring you through and strengthen you through all of this. Let's go before the God of heaven. Father, we sing a song called Your Grace is Enough. And God, sometimes... In us going through things, and we go through things that you don't seem to stop us from going through. And it almost seems uncaring as an act. And frustrating. Because we know that you have all power to remove anything. You have all power, and many of us have seen you in our lives work stuff out. Open doors, close doors, give us strength, protect us from stuff. But then there are times in our life, God, where you, you pause the deliverance button. 
and you view deliverance as not deliverance, but something that may be bad for us. And so God, you will keep us lovingly in something while you care for us, while you take care for, uh, of us, yet wanting to work your works in us so that we can see the sufficiency of your commitment to us. And so that your exaltation will work in all of us and things that you want to do in this life and in the next, that we don't become prideful about what you're going to do about it and start talking reckless as if we put ourselves in these places and gave ourselves these opportunities and put ourselves in these positions. And so you have unleashed and allowed some things to be unleashed on our life that can't be rebuked. And God, I pray for your people today that they would stand firm in you, knowing the glory of your love, knowing the glory of your commitment, knowing the glory of your grace in the midst of being thorned, in the midst of being harassed, in the midst of being frustrated, in the midst of being hurt. God, will you unleash a sense of the glory of your grace as they go through it and give them that wisdom that makes this clear. It's not a once in a point time, Lord God, when we go through these things. It's over and over and over again. We need to be reminded of your care. We need to be reminded of your grace. And we need to be reminded in the midst of feeling stuck, you're working on us. God, I pray that you would affirm every person before me today, but ultimately they're before you. And do the work that only you can do. And help them to look more like you and help them to notice it. Like, like, help them not to go through this stuff and not notice change and growth and strength. And, and, and then as the open doors come and as the exaltation comes, help them to know, God, that they did not place themselves there. When the resources come in, help them to know that they didn't place themselves there. Help them to be reminded that it was you and you and you alone, God. And may you be exalted in every area of their life. And I'm praying that you would put them in the places of influence that you want them in. Bring in the resources for the kingdom, for your glory, open business, all the different dreams and desires that are in your will. Unleash them with power, but help them never to get away with thinking they placed themselves there. They must know that it was you and you alone and do whatever it takes to remind them in every season of your life, of their life, of their neediness of you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You ought to give God a hand praise in advance.